chapter 2. We have been looking at various aspects of worldviews, and in the, in the big picture of the narrative that God has written for worldview, we understand that it begins with creation, and God created everything, and everything He created, He said, it is good. And in the creation, God gave man a choice. And He said, you have all of the Garden of Eden. It's all free to your access except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve believed the lie of Satan, and they disregarded the word of God and disobeyed the command of God, and they went from everything being good to the fall of man. And since that time, mankind has been born in sin and lived in sin and condemned by sin apart from Jesus Christ. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he sent his son to redeem us. He created us for fellowship with God. The fall of man, sin broke that fellowship with God. And God sent his son to buy us back and restore, to bring restoration to fellowship with God. That narrative, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that narrative permeates every aspect of life. We we visited in our Wednesday night study on Ecclesiastes and that we have to deal with pain and suffering in this fallen world. And some people say, if there's a God, why is there pain and suffering? Why doesn't God eliminate that? And you can go many different routes in answering that, but the simplest is to go back to our narrative. In the beginning, God created mankind, and there was no pain and suffering. But God gave man a choice... And he chose to disobey God, and with that, the wages of sin is death. It's pain, it's suffering, it's sorrow, it's all of those things. God's original design in the very beginning was not. And so here we are in this world, and God so loved the world that he came to fix the pain and sorrow and suffering through redemption. The, the narrative applies in every aspect of our life. So as believers here today, we have known this narrative and we are redeemed. We're, not, we're brought back to fellowship with God. We're not fully restored to God because we're in the battle with the flesh and the spirit. And we're redeemed, and he left us here to make a difference in this fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And he called us to make a difference in this fallen world. 
And many times this is overwhelming. How can I make a difference in this world? And, and I'm battling these things. And last Sunday we said that the only way we can make a difference in this world is if we have the Spirit of God as a believer dwelling in us, dictating to our mind, and our mind dictates to our body, so that we are Spirit-controlled, mind-controlled bodies, so that we are redeemed, we're left in this fallen world, but as we walk in this fallen world, the Spirit is directing us. And he directs our mind as a mind think as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. He directs our mind, and then our mind is to direct our body so that we can come in this fallen world and make a difference. But the key in all of this is we find in the book of Revelation brought out more clearly than ever, and for the sake of of um, what we're looking at today. I'm only going to read select verses from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And you will will see pretty quickly the point of this. Revelation 2 and 3 are seven messages to seven churches. And he closes the message to these in verse 7 of chapter 2. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, look at verse 11. He closes his letter to the church at Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 17 of the same chapter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 29. Again, we read... He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. We won't take the time. In chapter 3, he says the same thing over and over and over again. We read in Ecclesiastes, When you come to the house of God, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. And we often equate that with hearing what is being taught, hearing the messages. But more importantly, it is be more ready to hear what the Spirit says to you than to offer the sacrifice of fools. James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Well, it's one thing to be swift to hear. But what is it that you're listening to? You know, many times we listen to the wrong thing, and when you listen to the wrong thing, you come to wrong conclusions. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden listened to the wrong thing. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? You won't surely die. But as believers who have trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins... The Spirit of God is dwelling within us. He isn't dwelling within us just to seal our salvation, although that's one of the things that He does. He is dwelling in us to instruct us. And I want us to look at some of the purposes real quickly at the promptings of God's Spirit. If you are a believer, 
Undoubtedly, you have known the promptings. You could call it the convicting. You could call it the leading of the Spirit of God. Where, where you will read the Scripture and it's like the verse, it speaks to your heart. You know when it does that. God uses His Spirit in our lives for a number of purposes. Number one, to direct us into truth. Or to show us God's will. The Spirit of God dwells within. And every day you make many decisions. And we think of God's will as, what should I do for my occupation? Or where should I live? No, every day you face decisions. There's only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And the Spirit of God, if we listen to Him will direct us at what decision will please God and what decision won't. He's, he's given to, to guide us into truth. So when you sit down to read the Bible, it's not you take your mind, I hope I can figure this out. It's you should go, God, I need your spirit to guide me into truth. I want to be listening to your spirit. So, the first purpose is of the Spirit is to direct us into truth, God's will. Secondly, the Spirit of God is to help us have abundant life. Christ said, I have not, I, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The Spirit of God's purpose in our life is to to take control of our life, and direct us. And his purpose is that he will produce in our life an abundant life, real living. The battle goes on in our minds. If you obey God, you're going to miss out on life. That is absolutely false. You won't even know what life is. Life comes when we obey the Spirit of God. He produces love and joy and peace and long-suffering and so on. That's life. He, that's what he wants to produce in our life. Thirdly, the Spirit of God is also instrumental in helping us to avoid evil. Walk in the Spirit, Galatians tells us, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we would obey the Spirit, we would not be surprised by evil coming up in our life. We would walk in victory. If we obey the promptings of the Spirit, we will bless others. The Spirit of God takes our eyes off ourselves, and we see the, the needs of others. We see how we can minister, and our life will then be a blessing You want your life to be a blessing. You want, when you come, people in their minds say, oh, man, it's good to see them. You don't want like, oh, brother, look who's here. You know, you know people like that. If the Spirit of God is in control of our life, it will be a welcome sight to people. A person that's long-suffering and patient and kind, 
Ah, you're too kind. Get out of here. You're too compassionate. Get out of here. You're too, they might say you're too truthful. Get out of here. But the reality is the Spirit of God has come to give life, and life then is a blessing to others. Number five, the promptings, if we'd obey the promptings of the Spirit, it will bring oneness. You read the book of Acts, and it says they were in oneness of mind and oneness of spirit. If you are walking in God's spirit, and another person is walking in God's spirit, and I am walking in God's spirit, we will be in tune with the spirit. There will be a oneness there. You've heard the saying, He's marching to the beat of a different drummer, right? Meaning he's out of step with things. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a marching band, but there is a step that you're supposed to have in a marching band. And um, if you've ever been in a, how many of you have been in a marching band? Raise your hand. This is just a curious question. When you see a parade and a band goes by, you don't ever see those anymore. But when you see a parade and a band goes by, do you look at the lines to see who's in step or who's not? Do you? Usually you do because you're conscious of that. There's nothing that looks better than, man, sharpness, left, right, left, right, or military, seeing military, you know, they are sharp. Wouldn't it be nice if Christians were in tune with the Spirit of God? I mean, marching to the Spirit of God? He's the drummer, if you please. He's, he's the one that we ought. Wouldn't it be nice if marriages were oneness of spirit? Not marching to my spirit or the wife's spirit, but marching to God's spirit. See, we can really simplify things. I'm, I'm not opposed to all these uh, information and stuff. But sometimes we complicate it so much. Obey the Spirit of God. I want, a, I want an abundant life. I want oneness in my, in my marriage, in my family, in my church. And the promptings of God will also glorify God. What is your whole purpose in life? Whether it's your purpose or not, it's God's purpose for you that you glorify God. And when the end comes... And the bottom line, and everything comes out in the wash, and we're standing before God, it is whether we glorified God or not. And there's only one way to glorify God, and that's to walk in the Spirit. Now think of that. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want to know God's will and be guided into truth and have abundant life and avoid evil and be a blessing to others and have a oneness of spirit and glorify God? Who wouldn't want that? Sad to say, we elevate our mind and our body above the spirit and we say, well, surely that isn't what God's spirit wants. Let me just quickly mention some characteristics of the Spirit's voice. It is only understood by one who has been born again. If you have never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, 
you do not have the Spirit of God. And so you may have a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit of God that is leading you and instructing you. The Spirit of God dwells within believers only. Now, the only conviction that the Spirit of God will lead to an unbeliever is to bring them to Christ, to show them that they're a sinner, that they cannot save themselves, and only Jesus Christ can forgive sins. That is the conviction of the Spirit of God. But to have the Spirit of God leading in my life, I must be born again. Now, the Spirit of God always is in complete agreement with the Word of God. Because the Spirit of God is the author of the Word of God. So the Spirit of God would not raise up something that would contradict the Word of God. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see whether they are of God or not. There are many people that say things, they say, I, I, I'm led of God's Spirit, and it's contrary to the Word of God. You can mark it off right away. If it's asking you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, it is not the Spirit of God. He never leads contrary to the Word of God. The Spirit of God often focuses on little things. The Spirit of God will prompt, in, I've seen over and over again in my life, the Spirit of God prompt me in something that I think, oh, that's just a little thing. And I dismiss it. And sometimes later I see that I shouldn't, and sometimes later I don't see it, but someday I will see. If the Spirit of God says, you need to pay attention to this, He's all-knowing. He's perfect in all his ways. I better be listening to him. When the Spirit of God prompts you to do something, don't dismiss it as, as a little thing. The characteristics of the Spirit's voice, they are opposite the basic nature of the flesh. Opposite the basic nature of the flesh. You know, you can often ask yourself, you sense that, that God is directing you to, out of the blue, you sense, pray for so-and-so, and you think, that's weird. Where'd that come from? Well, just ask yourself, do you think your flesh would do that? No, flesh is, do you think Satan would prompt you to do that? No. I mean... He prompts you, hey, you need to invite that person over to your home so that you could be a light to them. Well, do you think your flesh wants to do that? No, your flesh doesn't want to do that. It wants to build a nice fire, pull up a lazy boy, rock it back, take a nap. Flesh doesn't want to get involved. See, the Spirit of God 
leads against our flesh, and these two are at enmity one toward another. Galatians tells us over and over again, we're redeemed, but we're living in a fallen world, and there's this battle here. And if we would obey the Spirit, we will walk in victory, we will have abundant life, we will be in a blessing to others, but we have to conquer through the Spirit the desires of the flesh. And you do that by submitting to the Spirit. Number five, the Spirit's voice becomes weaker the more we neglect or resist it. First Thessalonians 5.19 says that we are to not quench the Spirit. To quench the Spirit is through neglect, through disobedience to the Spirit. We keep saying no, keep saying no. And there may come a time that his voice gets weaker and weaker. We pick up our Bible, but it doesn't speak to us. We hear a a same sermon as someone else, and they say, Man, God really spoke to me through that. Ah, What a challenge, what a blessing. And we're like, oh, man, I thought he'd never get done. Why? Because we've, we've resisted the Spirit. We've disobeyed the Spirit. The Spirit prompts us through his word. The Spirit prompts us through prayer. The Spirit prompts us through preaching. The Spirit prompts us through our authorities. In Ecclesiastes study this week, you'll be talking about authorities God works through our authorities. The Spirit of God will minister in our life through, through godly counsel, them using truth in our life. And the Spirit of God will minister in our own spirit. But many times we are deadened to the voice of the Spirit. What deadens the voice of the Spirit of God? Number one, a lack of exposure to the truth. A lack of exposure to the truth. We live in a very, very hectic age. And we are all so busy going, going, going that we don't take the time to expose ourselves through the truth. And God's word is key to hearing the spirit in our heart and soul and mind. And it means calming our life and saying, God, I want to hear from you. It's so important for us that, that we, we set aside time to, to quiet ourselves. Do you, sad to say we, we get completely away from it. But that's one of the purposes of Sunday, to to stop the normal activities of life and to refresh ourselves spiritually and physically. And and to quiet ourselves, but not just on Sunday, that, that we need, just because the world does all these activities doesn't mean we have to. Do you want the Spirit of God at work in your life, or do you want to run with the world? You know, do you want an abundant life or do you want a ragged life? 
And it all comes back to the Spirit of God. Listen, if we, if we do not expose ourselves to truth, the Word of God, and hearing good ministry, and reading good books, and we're not going to hear the Spirit of God, and we're going we're gonna to be going through life, the maze of life, on our own, trying to figure it out, running into that wall, that didn't work, going here. And the Spirit of God says, oh, if only you would listen to me. Exposure to truth. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was speaking to a large audience. And he held up a glass and he asked them, how can I get the air out of this glass? And one man shouted, suck it out with a pump. And Moody said, well, that would create a vacuum and shatter the glass. Um, there were several other suggestions, and then Moody smiled, and he picked up a pitcher of water and poured into it and filled the glass to full and overflowing. And he said, this is, a, is, a, is an example of the Christian life. The Christian life is not accomplished by sucking the sin out of our life, but by being filled with the Spirit of God. And many times we're focusing on get this sin out and get this out of my life and I need to put this in. If we would just obey the Spirit of God. Do you understand? No one can teach you to be a better husband than the Spirit of God. And he may lead you to read this book, but if you read this book without the Spirit of God, I don't care how good the book is, you're missing the power. It doesn't matter. It comes back to the Spirit of God. We ought to continually be praying, God, help me to know your will. Have your Spirit teach me. But our, our, vo- our ears are deadened. That's why I said over and over again, whatever the, if you have ears, hear what the Spirit says. We need to slow down. We need to feed on the Word of God. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And sin deadens our ears to the Spirit's voice. Moral impurity, bitterness, critical spirit, pride, rebellion, fear of man. We could go on. Any sin, it's like turning down the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will expose the sin to us. So we need to, we need to come back and say, God... As you sit down and read the Bible in your life, just say, God, would you speak to me? Would you show me what is hindering your spirit from speaking to me? And God, I am making a commitment to you that whatever you ask me to do, I am willing to do it. You make that commitment, you'll start getting the Spirit's direction in your life. God isn't playing games. Let's play hide-and-seek with what I want them to do. Let's see if they'll look over here. I'm hiding it under here. Oh, you're, you're getting hotter, getting hotter. Oh, colder, colder. No, God wants us to know his will. And if you say, God, I, I need your spirit's power. I need your spirit's fruit. I need your working in my life. 
And, and I am asking you to use your spirit to direct me, show me my sin that's hindering, show me anything that's standing in the way. And God, as you do and you show me your will, I want you to know I'm going to be dependent on your spirit. God, I cannot do this without your spirit. And there is not a thing you can do without the power of the Spirit of God. That's why we have, in, as we said this morning, we have bigger churches than ever before in the U.S., Christian universities, radio, television, and look at the mess our nation is in. And the explanation is we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power, and the power is the Spirit of God. You can't do anything about the nation But you can do something about your life, and I can do something about my life. And I can either come where I'm just going to go through the motions, and I live a Christian life that's pretty normal, and everybody thinks is all right, but God says, it looks like a nice car. Sit down in it, feels like a nice car, but the thing has no power. It's not going anywhere. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And it's learning to depend on the Spirit. God, I'm I'm going into this business, and I need to buy some things. Help me to walk in your Spirit. Oh, come on. Absolutely. Because you've been in there before, and they disrespected you, and you got mad and said something you shouldn't have said. Why? Because we're walking in the flesh, not the Spirit. God, today I'm going to work. I want to honor you. I need your Spirit's grace and power today. I can't do this without you. Without me, you can do nothing. And would there come a time where we as people genuinely walked in the Spirit of God, we would see the fruit of what we already mentioned. And why wouldn't we? He, he knows everything. You're never going to obey the Spirit and say, man, that was a mistake. To walk in the Spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when, when you're going to discipline a little child of yours, God, I need your Spirit. I need wisdom in and of myself. I'll damage their Spirit. I won't do it right. I'll manifest anger. What, I need your Spirit. See, it's learning to depend on God and to be filled with the Spirit of God. That means under His control so that our body is controlled by our mind and our mind is controlled by our spirit and we can live in this fallen world in genuine victory. Learning to depend on the Spirit. You've heard before, but a number of years ago, uh, uh, individual, I believe it was from China, came to America. He was a believer and he saw all the things that were being done here, visited our churches, saw all the things. And someone asked him at the conclusion of his visit, what surprised you the most? What impressed you the most? He said, I'm impressed with how much you get done without God. Meaning, he says, I see a lot of activity and a lot of things, but I don't see the Spirit of God much. I wonder what God would say about us. 
I wonder what God would say, how much of this last week did we genuinely walk in the Spirit of God? See, the Christian life is not complicated, but it's not easy. The Spirit of God will lead us the next step. Is it a battle? It absolutely is a battle. But walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have a renewed ear that is bent toward your Spirit. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would show us what is hindering us from hearing your Spirit. I pray that we'd have a renewed sense as we read your word that that it wouldn't just be academic, that it wouldn't just be an exercise of discipline, but, Lord, that we would have a hunger and thirst and that we would know that is your spirit that is speaking to me. And, Lord, I pray that we truly would glorify you by walking in your spirit. I pray if there's one here today that has never called upon Jesus Christ, they do not have your spirit dwelling within. Lord, they can't have abundant life because they don't have everlasting life. I pray today they would call upon you. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer that we would have a renewed commitment to walk in your spirit. We ask this totally for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes.